My name is Sami, and I'll be leading our Bible um, reading today. We are reading from Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 to 7, and that can be found on page 673 of your church Bible. So that's Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 to 7, page 673 in the church Bible. Fulfill your vow to God. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. To, um, fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messenger my vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. Fab, thanks for that reading. We're in a series in Ecclesiastes. Um, so if you want to have it open here on page 673, I love Ecclesiastes. I just find the realism of this book so refreshing. Uh, the world that the author here in Ecclesiastes presents is a broken world. Life is short, he says in the first chapter. Life is elusive. It's hevel. That word meaningless means it's elusive. You can't grasp it. Life is repetitive. And last week you saw that life is often unfair. Unfairness, injustice sort of hangs over us like that smog is hanging over New York and southern Canada at the moment. The author of Ecclesiastes is a realist about life under the sun, but he is a believer in God, and he has wisdom for all of us this morning as we approach God. And the question that the Bible text is asking us today is, how do we worship God well in this broken world, this warped world? And the answer is this. To be wise, listen to the true God speak. There's only one point in the message today, and it's this. To be wise, listen to the true God speak. Look at verse 1. Guard your steps. Watch your steps. Take care in your approach as you come to the house of God. Now, the house of God for this author was the temple in Jerusalem. You, you went there to meet with God. Today, we, we don't have a building called the temple, but we are meeting God now as we gather. The church is the new temple, and we gather here to worship, and we gather also in small groups during the week, in triplets, in house groups, 
we go to the house of God. Also, through Jesus, we can individually worship God in a daily relationship, as we've heard from Margaret. This is also the house of God. We're having a series in Jacob in the evenings, and Sally will be speaking tonight. And it was Jacob who, who in the desert, when he had a stone for his pillow, uh, he met with God and he said, wow, this is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So the teacher here, though, imagines a man going to the temple, and he's saying to this man, take care, because you're going to meet with God. Think about how you're going to approach God, and he says, go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. The New Living Translation is even more blunt. It says, when you go to the house of God, keep your ears open and your mouth shut, Don't offer the sacrifice of fools. Now, I I, I must admit, when I was looking at this text, I was thinking, wow, I better not preach for too long, um, because the text tells me not to do that, especially in verse 2. And I was struck by this repetition of the word fool, verse 1, verse 3, verse 4. A preacher that I used to know would say that the word fool is the worst four-letter F word in the English language. Because the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. But here, in this context, the fool is someone who rushes to God and he's not thinking, really. He's just going through the the routines of religion. And he's not thinking whether God uh, is there or really wants this. There's an example of kind of foolish speech in the New Testament with Peter. It's often Peter... Um, It's wonderful that it's recorded, but there was a time where Jesus was gloriously transfigured on this mountain, and he appeared in a sort of glorified body, and Moses and Elijah were also there, representing the law and the prophets, and Peter just shot his mouth off, and he said, oh, Jesus, wow, it's amazing that these people are here. Let me build a tent for, for Moses and, uh, and Elijah. And a voice came from heaven and said, this is my son, listen to him. Keep your mouth shut, keep your ears open. Peter felt that he had to fill that moment with words, but the voice came from heaven, listen to my son. To be wise, listen to the true God speak. When I was young, Laurel and Hardy were still on TV, and um, was it Laurel who used to say, don't just stand there, do something? Well, it's the opposite here. Don't just do something. To be wise, listen to the true God speak. And so the teacher has two warnings for us. The first warning is in verse 2, beware of over-speaking. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few to be wise. Listen to the true God speak. Don't fill everything with words. He's the one in authority. He's the one in heaven. You're a creature. He is God. You are not. Don't blab at him. Verse 3. A life full of cares, sorry, a dream comes when there are many cares, and many words mark the speech of a fool. Dreams come about because of a cluttered mind, 
And the air can be cluttered with a lot of words, even in worship. Now, obviously, God isn't against us speaking to him. He commands us to, to speak to him. But sometimes our many words show that we've forgotten who we're speaking to. Our tradition here, it's called evangelicalism. I know that word's triggering for some these days, but the, the evangelicalism goes back to the Reformation, the 16th century, when the reformers cut out a lot of the superstition and symbols that marked the pre-Reformation church. Uh, they, 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 they cut out the, the, the symbols, the statues of the, the Virgin Mary, the crucifixes. And what they wanted to do was to enable people to listen to God's word. But <laughs> what has actually happened over the last 500 years since the Reformation is that evangelicals have filled the space with a lot of words, so many words. And with the overuse of words, what we can do is we can reduce our humanity just to rationality, like Margaret was saying. We can just know things in our heads. The, the, the whole point of the Reformation was to enable everybody to be able to listen to the Word of God. But sometimes with our many words, we actually make him less accessible. Sometimes with our many words, we make our corporate prayer meetings less accessible as well. We just go on and on. When Jesus taught us to pray, he said this, when you pray, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Think about who he is and where he is before you start spouting out. You're meant to stop and start with God and who he is and where he is. So if you're learning to pray and you come to a, a prayer meeting and that's a really good thing to do and you can't find the words, just pray that. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Amen. That's absolutely fine. That's a way better way to pray than, than perhaps 90% of the other prayers that will be prayed. Now, of course, we can take that too far. Jesus does tell us to bring our needs, to pray for our daily bread and so on. But when we're addressing God publicly, it is good to think about who God is and where he is. So beware of over-speaking, but secondly, beware of over-promising. We see that in verses 4 to 7. That we can be good at speaking and promising, but not good at carrying out those promises. God knows that people can have good intentions and that sometimes, with the best will in the world, we fail to fulfill them. But sometimes we can make promises without thinking what we're saying and without thinking about who we're saying it to. Sally's going to be preaching again on Jacob tonight. And Jacob had an encounter where he saw something like a ladder to heaven. And he said, this is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. But then he said, God, if you help me, and if you get me to where I want to go, then I'll serve you. Then I'll give a tenth of everything I owe. And he, he made this promise rather rashly. It was a rather kind of manipulative speech. Now, God is gracious, but that kind of thing we see in the text here can, can make him angry, verse 6. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? What made Jesus angry? Do you remember? It was, it was really the pretend worship 
of the hypocrites, the Pharisees who knew the scriptures so well and acted all religious, but their hearts were far from God. And what I've noted is that people overpromise when they want to look good in the presence of judgment. But Christianity isn't about looking good in the presence of judgment. It's actually about looking bad in the presence of love. That's grace. But we want to look good in the presence of perceived judgment. And that's when we overpromise. James and John overpromised when they thought they could bring something to the table. They said to Jesus, Jesus, when you get to glory, when you become the president, can we become the vice president and the secretary of state? And Jesus was like, what are you talking about? Can you be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with? Yep, they said. Yes, we can. <laughs> and Jesus tolerated that, that, that speech, but they were really over-promising. Don't over-promising. Don't over-promise. To be wise, listen to the true God speak. So we, we see these two warnings, over-speaking and over-promising. But I think there are positive notes in the text. Verse 1 Guard your steps when you go to the house of the Lord. Go near to listen to him. God does speak. He wants to communicate with you. Uh, it was Alpha Week 6, wasn't it, this, this last week? Thank you for the team that have been uh, facilitating that every week. And the subject is, uh, was, why should I read the Bible? I think it's one of the best uh, sessions of Alpha, actually. And session six of Alpha really makes this point that God wants to speak to us. He wants to communicate with us. He has given us this word so that we can have a relationship with him and find the living word in the word, the Lord Jesus, who is the living word. And there is a posture recommended for listening to God. We, we had it read to us earlier, Isaiah 66. Nick read to us, these are the ones whom I look on in favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my words. The posture recommended as we come to the word of God is humble listening. Now then, folks, do you take time to listen to God in your average week? Uh, Margaret said, I, I don't often hear him speak when I'm rushing about. And, and so much of our lives is rushing about. We're more connected than ever, but maybe less connected to the true God. Do you take time to be still? To, to do what we might call listening prayer. Lord, is there anything you want to say to me? Would you speak to me as I open your word? Or is there, at the end of the day, is there anything that people spoke to you. Maybe you were at a meeting, and in that meeting, you realized, oh, I didn't quite get that right. Maybe God is saying this. When was the last time you heard God's voice to you, to you personally? What did he say? I've been looking out this week for God speaking to me because I knew that this was the theme. And I have been in meetings where he's corrected my views on things, there was one occasion this week I told an untruth and the Holy Spirit said, you told a lie there. <laughs> Go and confess. The Holy Spirit gave me 
a verse this week for my life, and he said, go and share it with somebody else. Text somebody else. Encourage somebody else with this. How about you? Hearing God isn't supposed to be some kind of freakish event for Christians. It's supposed to be normal. This is our normal Christian life. Maybe you're not a Christian, though. Is there a willingness in you to, to start listening to God, to, as Margaret said, let him define himself to you as the loving heavenly father that he is? The Lord, God, reveals himself most in the person of Jesus. Get to know Jesus in the Gospels. You know, in the 14th century, there was a terrible thing called the Black Death. It, it killed one-third of Europe. And in the 14th century, this lady, Julian of Norwich, she lost her husband and a son to the Black Death. And she felt that God was unfeeling and judgmental and, and brutal, sending this plague. And she cried out to God, and she had this personal revelation of his love to her. And what she then did was she wrote the first recorded words by a woman in the English language. That's why she's famous. And among those words were these statements. For God wishes to be seen. For God wishes to be sought. For God wishes to be expected. For God wishes to be trusted. And that's what she said. We might add, for God wishes to be enjoyed. This is who God is. He wants to speak to us. When you go, go near to listen because this is a speaking God. Are you listening to God? For God wishes to be seen. God wishes to be sought. God wishes to be expected. God wishes to be trusted. There are many voices speaking to us today through many channels. That's particularly the case for Generation Z and Millennials. Hands up, who's Generation Z or a Millennial here this morning? There we go, the most connected generations ever. But are you taking time to connect with, with God? Well, you might say, well, how do I connect with God? How do I listen to God? Can, can I give you just uh, three pieces of advice from Scripture as we close? Be intentional. Verse 1 says, when you go to God's house. Yeah, make meeting with other Christians a regular habit. Not something you just do every now and again. Do you clean your teeth every now and again? Or do you do it every day? Uh, be intentional every day. Spend some time in his word every day and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Get, get a good book to help you to read and pray. And obviously, the point is to meet Jesus, not just to get head knowledge. So ask the Spirit to speak to you. Uh, meet with other Christians and meet with God on your own. Be committed to some kind of small group where you can do Bible study because you hear the voice of God also through, through godly Christians. I became a Christian age 19. 
And I think I've read the Bible pretty much every day. Not, not because it's some rule I want to keep, but because missing it's like, it is like missing a meal. That was said in the Alpha course, wasn't it? Um, but it is, it's missing an encounter. So, so be intentional. Be intentional with the word. Be intentional with the small group. Be intentional to take time out with the earphones off to listen to the Holy Spirit who wants to encourage you and correct you and help you to live a life of righteousness. And then secondly, be prepared for him to contradict you and surprise you. God needs to do two things to speak to us in this generation. He needs to say something that contradicts us and something that surprises us. Let's face it, folks, the Bible is strange. It's really strange. The book of Ecclesiastes says things that no other book says, and I wouldn't put it that way. But, you know, if God only ever agreed with us, he would just echo back our own thoughts to us. We have plenty of that on social media. There was somebody called uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson who had his own Bible. He cut out the bits that he liked. He didn't have a, a cut and paste function on the computer, but he literally took a pair of scissors and he cut out the bits he liked and he put it into his own Bible, created his own Bible. He thought he was letting God speak, but, but actually what he had was a Stepford God. Have you guys seen that movie, The Stepford Wives? It's one of my favorite movies where these men of Connecticut, they all had beautiful wives who did everything they said. They always looked fabulous, these wives, but there was something wrong. And you see at the end of the movie that the wives were actually robots built by the men. And we can have a God like this when we just choose to read the bits that we like. We're not listening to the true God speak. So ask, when you read the Bible, what is in here that I never would have said? And you need to wrestle with those things. And maybe ask a more mature Christian, what's your take? That's why it's good to, to be in a small group. And then the last thing is, is found in uh, the end of verse 7 here in the text. Much dreaming and many words are meaningless, therefore fear God. Fear him. Lots of words can be insubstantial. You can't get hold of them. It's hevel. You need something more substantial. The fear of God. This is a massive theme in Scripture, and it's the theme in the wisdom genre of the Bible. Book of Proverbs, book of Job, book of Ecclesiastes. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and a right response in Ecclesiastes and Proverbs and Job is to fear him. Now, what does that mean? The word fear can too quickly make us think of being scared. That's not, that's not quite right. Imagine you're young and you have an older brother and he does something to show his strength. You could be scared, but he's your brother. He's on your side. And this is our God. We don't fear him with a loveless dread or even a detached awe, but we, we love him with an intimate connection. That is fearing him. This week, we've had GCSEs. My, my son, Joe, vomited in two of his GCSEs. Um, 
But in English, we, um, in English GCSE, I studied this poem by William Blake. It goes like this. Tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forests of the night, what immortal hand or eye could frame thy fearful symmetry? Did anyone else study that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know it off by heart? I did once. I, I have to read it now. In what distant deeps or skies burnt the fire of thine eyes? On what wings dare he aspire? What the hand dare seize the fire? You might wonder, what on earth is that all about? Well, William Blake is saying, isn't the creator awesome who made the tiger? The tiger, you know, with, with his beautiful symmetry and his, his grace. Wow, isn't the creator amazing? But William Blake had this awe, but he didn't know God. In fact, he thought that he was a pantheist, that God's like in the tiger and he's in the trees and he's in the mountains and the rivers and so on. He had awe, but not intimacy. But, you know, true fear involves both awe and intimacy. It involves both trust and trembling. It, it, it does mean having an undiluted of view of God's majesty and awesomeness and holiness and difference from us, but also knowing that he's crazy about us. He loves us and he's for us. We see a lovely snapshot of that in Aslan, uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia, the children ask, is he a tame lion? And the answer is, no, he's not tame, but he is good, and he's for you. So true fear involves this awe and intimacy. It involves knowing who he really is, as Margaret said. Hebrews 1 verse 1 says, in the past, God spoke to us through prophets, who had dreams and visions and things like that. But in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son. And this is how we begin to listen to him. We get to know Jesus. This is the main way that God has communicated to us, to the human race, through his son. So don't think like William Blake, only of God as some kind of amazing creator. Think of him as your compassionate savior as well and as your Lord, and then you'll begin to identify his voice. Because if we're to fear him correctly, we need to know him as marvelous creator and merciful redeemer. Ecclesiastes is telling us here, it is possible to make the fear of God and the worship of God a hollow show, and that makes God angry. We can even, you know, we can fake the fear of God by coming to church like good boys and girls and sitting next to our parents and outwardly obeying his commands. But true fear is only obtained by the renewed heart. Only if you've got a heart that's been born again by the Spirit of God can you really know this true fear and this true wisdom and this ability to listen to God. So folks, have you been born again by the Spirit of God? could be that you haven't, that you're faking it till you make it. could be that you're offering the sacrifice of fools. Maybe, maybe you want to be. Maybe you want to become a Christian this morning and you want to hear God. Do come and speak to the prayer team or to, to me. I'll be here. I would love to lead you to God. It's been a privilege to do that with a, with a few people since I've been here at Above Bar. It's wonderful. It would be such a joy to do that.
But folks, you know, we are not made for passionless performance or some detached knowledge of truths and doctrines and things in the Bible. We're made to know God in such a way that our hearts tremble and are stirred at his beauty and splendor. That's why we sing, because singing is, is an appropriate response to this fear. You know, it was read to us, wasn't it, Psalm 47, shout to the Lord with songs of joy, for the Lord Most High is to be feared. And, sorry, I am getting intense, because folks, words just spoken flatly as I, I read the sermon will not do in the worship of God. This is meant to stir us. This is a matter of our heart's deepest inclination, isn't it? That's why we're here, isn't it? It's not just performance. And that's why we sing. That's why we worship. I better stop. The, the message this morning is to be wise. Listen to the true God speak above all the voices of the world around us. This world is so noisy. We do need some stillness. I'd like to just have a, a moment of stillness. I know we can even manufacture that, but perhaps God would speak to you even in this time of stillness, just before we, we sing, be still, for the presence of the Lord is moving in this place.